and our second bhajan is on page 93. Tusi Arajasuno Kirpala Guru. Hear our plea, O Guru Kirpal, and divert our minds from bad deeds. The mind does not come to satsang. It does not feel embarrassed doing the bad deeds. O gracious Lord, have pity on the souls and attach our hearts to the feet of the Master. We are the suffering ones from birth after birth. We are the unchaste, angry, deceitful, indulgent ones. O Guru, you yourself take care of your souls, us, and break the veil of mind. The mind is afraid of Paramat. Leaving meditation, he presents excuses. He has been wandering for many births. Shower grace and unite him with the Lord. The honeybee loves the fragrance of your flowers. He always waits for your grace and mercy. Hear the plea of Ajayab, the sinner. Attach the mind in Simran. Hear our plea, O Guru Kirpal, and divert our minds from the bad deeds. Tusi are just to know, Kirpala Guru, 
returned safely and I know of at least two people in the group who have said that they would be willing to share with us and I know that Sarah will be heading over to children's satsang as soon as she shares with us so um, Sarah and then Sandra Peavy will be talking some afterwards and if there's anyone else who would like to speak after that they should come up. The first thing is Sanchi conveys his love to all, all the dear ones. And at first I didn't know if he meant just the ashramites or the whole sangha. Um, I definitely was not going to share for many, many days, and I knew why. And then I couldn't stop the thoughts forming in my head um, about sharing, and I decided, well, I will share. Um, there's a couple reasons that I didn't want to share. Um, one is fear of egoism, of course. Everybody has that fear getting up um, when they get up here. And the other is the, um, the lack of inner experience that I've had on this path since initiation. And I learned some very, um, 
very big lessons while I was over there this time. Um, please do your sermon and help me. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you how I went. Um, since initiation, since I haven't had the inner experience, I did ask Sanchi if I should have a second initiation about a year after I got initiated. And he just laughed and he said, no, dear daughter, you are initiated. And, um, and I've been to Rajasthan five times. And for the first three years of my initiation, I didn't think much about the lack of inner experience. But since I've been at the ashram, you know, I've been wondering a little bit more when it would come. And this time I was going with more hope for that inner experience, but I wasn't going with just that hope. I was going to um, deepen my uh, relationship with the Master because he is my only hope. I know that for the rest of my life. And, um, and I went with other hopes also besides just that. And um, that's another thing I'd like to share. Um, I'd, read, I'd heard in a satsang before I went that if your faults don't change after a long time, then if you go to the Master and know him as Almighty God, um, he will change your faults. If you're like a stone, if you go to the satsang and you're like a stone and you do everything but you don't change and you go to the Master thinking, thinking of him as Almighty God, he will change you. And if you do your love with, uh, your simon with love, he will change you. So um, I did go to see Sanchi as Almighty God and nothing less. And I went for forgiveness, and I went to see the inner light. And, um, and the fourth thing I went as, not for, but I went as more as a child because uh, Sanchi had written me a letter ever since I uh, started helping Connie and children satsang how to become more like a child and learn from the children, etc. And, you know, I think that helps a lot. So I, I wanted to go to him more as a child. I'm an adult, I'm not a child, but I know what he means about having a childlike heart on this path, and it helped me a lot. And um, one other thing, I'm, I've, the other reason I hesitated to share is because I realized that uh, we're not supposed to share inner experiences, but I thought it'd be okay to share my lack of inner experience. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, I'll, I'll keep mum if I ever get the, the inner experience. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I'll come back to those things um, in a little while. I, I want to share uh, the first question and answer that was there. I didn't know I was going to ask this question of Sanchi. I've wanted to ask it for five years, every time I've gone. And uh, luckily, I, I had time to word it, and he picked me during the first question and answer. And... Um, it was a whole satsang. So the first question and answer went like this. Um, Even though I do the Simran and satsangs, still, daily my emotions are painful. I have different fears and sadness within me. So I look to other sources of relief, like psychological theories, Bach flower remedies, and healing diets. But I worry that I might be complicating my introspection. However, if I ignore the negative feelings, they seem to worsen. So I really don't know if these self-help methods are tools toward the healthier discipleship or, in fact, a dis distraction to my mind. And um, the answer helped a lot of us. And it, um, well, I'll give you the answer first and then I'll 
Um, Sanchi said, um, we people get swayed away with the emotions of our mind only when we do not have enough faith in the master. When we do not have enough faith in the master, only then he places tricks on us in his emotions and in his tricks, and we don't know that he is taking us away from the master. Um, these are just sections of this satsang. God Almighty and master are the same. God Almighty sees every single thought of ours, and he knows everything we are doing. Whatever feelings or emotions we have, God Almighty is aware of that, because he is within us. If we believe that God and Master are the same, then we should know that Master is watching our every single thought, and whatever feelings or emotions, good or bad deeds we are doing, or whatever is going on within us, our beloved Master is very well aware of that and there is nothing we can hide from him. I enjoyed hearing that. Um, and then he went on. Master is knowing everything from within, and the, disciples, and the disciples who know this never allow such emotions. They never get swayed off in the emotions created by the mind. And then he talked a lot about Papu's father's illness and how devoted he was, how Papu's father had... Um, had fear when he had to go to Canada because he didn't know the language. Um, but he ended up writing Master saying, uh, the saints say they never perform miracles, but they only perform miracles. And um, Sanji was addressing the fear there that Papu's father also had that, and everything turned out fine in the long run. Um, and then he went on to say also that um, Papu's father's illness took him through a lot of struggles. But he did have so much faith and devotion in the Master that that also, everything turned out also okay in the end there. Um, and then Sanchi said, he goes on to say, the point is, if you have so much faith in and devotion for the Master, then all your works are done by the Master. If you have developed this kind of faith and devotion to the Master, then you cannot afford to have any emotions or thoughts or feelings or any other way in your meditation other than the ways and teachings of the Master. Because when you have given your heart to the Master, how can you afford to have somebody else staying there? Those who let other emotions, other feelings come within them at the time of the meditation, and those who are involved in the other things while practicing the path of the Masters, their condition is that like that of the adulterous woman who does not belong to her friend nor with her husband, and nobody takes care of her. So that is why those who have understood the grace of the Master and those who have understood the reality of the Master, they do not do anything other than the practices or the instructions given by the Master. Okay, he, he said it was a two-part satsang, and then he went on to say, now the other part of the answer is that in the Sant Mat, to try any kind of remedy is not considered as a bad thing. If any remedy works for you, there is nothing wrong in using that for your body because it is very important to maintain the good health since you can meditate only if you have the good health. <coughs> Sanji said you cannot regain your lost youth. Oh, this is just me here. Um, then, excuse me. <laughs> uh, I'll take any Okay, and then he went on. While taking the remedies for maintaining the good health, one has to be very careful. 
you should not take the intoxicating remedies or drugs that claim to restore youth. Saints do not condemn any remedies or any medicines, but they do tell us there is no remedy or no medicine for death, and it will definitely come. Of course, you can use any remedy or any medicine which will make your body well, but as far as keeping the death away, there is no remedy available. Guru Arjan says that the only remedy, um, Guru Arjan says only that remedy works in which there is the grace of the Master. To be well is only in the hands of God Almighty, and when He wants, He will take it out from your body. Only that doctor is competent and effective who has complete knowledge of the medicine he is practicing and can diagnose the disease very well. So, dear ones, if we have any physical pains, there is no harm in taking the medicine. You should not hesitate in going to the doctor and getting the treatment from him. And even while taking the medicine, you should try to do the simran. You should not let your mind think negative thoughts like why you have to take the medicine and why you have to suffer so much because you know that all these pains and diseases are the reactions of our own karmas. And by suffering those karmas, we are paying them off. And you, this is the last bit of the satsang. He went on to say, we should be grateful to God for pain, for we remember him more in pain. We remember him more in pain than in happiness. And that we should do the simran while in pain, for the simran done in pain is sincere and from the heart. And uh, I thought that was beautiful. The second part of the satsang was easy. The first part of the satsang, some of us scratched our heads um, afterwards, like, do you think Master meant this, or do you think he meant that? Well, um, some of us were talking after the satsang, and um, it's not that clear because we can't stop emotions. No, no doubt we can't stop them. But he was referring to them in the meditation, and I thought, well, maybe we use painful emotions to, um, as an excuse to, I, don't, I can't meditate, it's hard, and these painful things come up, and I'd rather not struggle with it. I mean, he did talk about extreme emotions, um, saying you have to be careful, but he was more referring to them in the meditation. And for me, what I know I'll do is, for my different emotions, I've used Bach flowers a lot, and I can turn to them a lot. And I've just put them down ever since Sancho gave, uh, gave that satsang, and I, I look right to him in my heart for an answer. Um, and I, it's helped me, actually. I feel like my faith, my faith is developing. But I know it doesn't mean put everything down all at once. I know that I'll continue reading books about how to have healthy emotions, because unhealthy emotions sometimes are... Um, from conditioning while you're brought up, and they're lies. They're nothing but lies, and they're they're within you, and they're not helpful at all. And by re for me, reading a book now and then about healthy emotions and what's normal and what's not helps me be, I think, a healthier disciple. But at the same time, I can I could see the danger of disciples getting um, not frustrated. I don't mean to say frustrated, but maybe a little frustrated with, uh, with the challenge of meditation and seeking other things, uh, putting the path second and putting emotional release and emotional counseling first. And the Master is trying to get us to control our mind first with the meditation. And I know we can't stop the meditation. So that's just my interpretation. 
And also people who have children, they have to teach their children how to develop healthy um, emotions. And you can't do it unless you have it yourself. So I don't think it's that cut and dry that you only put the, mat, the, the path first and because uh, I know people have gotten into trouble that way. They, um, they've become dry and less loving because they don't know what to do with their emotions. So I think the introspection will continue for most of us, just remembering Master first. Um, okay. My meditations were, were very different this time, and I think it's uh, the reason for it was because I am helping Connie in the children's house. Master put me in that position, and um, I can go back to the children today, and I can tell them what um, peaceful, sweet meditations are like. Not fruitful as far as the inner light is, but the morning, the, the day after I got back, the morning satsang talked about other ways to recognize the master besides inner light. He withdraws your sensory current. Um, you're satisfied by others' examples. He answers certain prayers in your life. And I could, I, I, um, could accept all those as recognizing the perfect master. And my meditations in the past have been real struggles. They have never been kind of sweet and childlike and emptiness in my mind. And that's how they were this time. I mean, one time I had a vision of a puppy dog lick, licking my face <laughs> in a satsang, and it, it was sweet. I mean, it went fast, and it was better than <laughs> some adult thoughts, I guess. Um, <laughs> so the first, the first meditation was particularly special. That was uh, early in the morning between 7 and 8, and Sanji said that this is, was the ambrosial hour when all the birds and bees do their devotion, or animals. I can't remember his exact wording. And um, he said not to forget all God, Almighty God for even a moment. And uh, I sat back by the window and the birds were just singing beautifully for a whole hour and I just sat there and sweetly meditated, still sat still. It was a pleasant feeling. And that's how it was throughout most of the time, except that after about three or four days, my adult intellect started playing in more like, well, I did want to see the inner light this trip. And three and four days have passed. Oh, gee, I don't have much more time. And um, the questions were coming in my, or thoughts and questions were coming in my mind, like, gee, the time is passing and I haven't seen it yet. And when will I see the light? And will I believe it? Will it be enough? Will it come and go? Will it scare me? Oh, I want to see the light. I have to see the light. And um, I guess after about four days, maybe on the fifth day officially, I just let go of it. I, it wasn't important anymore, and I knew I couldn't force it. And as the bhajan says, we have no control over him. And I just knew that there was nothing I could do except sit and wait, keep my diary, and do my simmer and, and all that. And that was fine. I can honestly say that was fine. And uh, I was pleased to just sit there and sit in meditation. Um, let me see here. So for me, the light at that point became the least important thing. Um...
Another thing that I wanted to share was um, his health. He has a new metal banister uh, rail going up the stairway from the base of the stair to the top, up to his bedroom, or up to his room, I don't think it's his bedroom, from the kitchen, from the Langar area, which is new since last year. So he does need help sometimes pulling himself up. And um, he was, he definitely did the whole program, and he seemed okay, but much weaker in his voice and mellow in his energy. And um, I sat in the front or towards the front a lot during the satsangs, and I would watch his expression. And occasionally during a satsang, he would lose his voice, and it just wasn't there. And he would, he would struggle with it and get this beautiful but kind of sad expression in his eyes. I could almost picture him praying to Karpal for, for the grace to do this seva for us. And, um, and we were all, well, some others, I talked to others, and they felt the same way. We'd kind of be on edge, like get him some water or something. And after two or three days, he, he ordered water himself and, and that helped. It was never worse than that, than just an, an occasional losing his voice. Um, he looked absolutely beautiful. I was more aware of his beauty this time, and the, the opportunity to be there seemed so special. I seemed more aware of that. And he went on to say how um, the negative power makes him pay. The negative power can take an eye or a leg or give him diarrhea. And I was looking at him thinking, this, that, when Sanchi talks about that, that really hits me hard when he talks about how the negative power can ask for anything he wants. And I, I wondered, why is he still here? <laughs> I mean, he, you know, what is he suffering that we don't know? Or, um, I don't know, I just had that thought. How can he still be here? And um, my prayer, one, one of my prayers before I went to the underground room is that I wouldn't hurt him anymore, because I know I've hurt him. Um, I know I have. And he gave me only love in my interview and didn't show that I had hurt him. And it was a beautiful interview, but I knew that I had hurt him. And I wonder how we can all do that and not be more affected by it ourselves. So that was, that was my sincere prayer before I went into the underground room, is that I wouldn't hurt him. And that my heart would become softer so that I could feel it more if I was hurting him. Because I tend not to really um, assimilate that, that I, my devotion affects his comfort. And um, I felt like he did soften my heart you know, a couple ways after that. I felt like he heard my prayer. He often talks about when you go into the underground room, that's where your prayers are, are really heard. Um, I really don't have anything else to share except um, my, my closing thought. And I wrote this down so that I'll read it how I felt when I thought it. And uh, it was, goes like this. On the return trip, two dear souls and myself were talking at the airport and they hinted that they had failed because Master didn't take them within, and they were searching my face and words for some understanding. They clearly believed that I was one of the lucky people who had experienced so much more than they. I could only be partially honest with them. I have close friends who have definitely gone within, and I have close friends who haven't, but we all have his love and forgiveness and protection and beautiful teachings. And I'm convinced.
Thanks. Well, um, I guess my trip started off with a chance. That was my first message that I received as I was traveling to India. We were on the plane, and we were coming into Delhi. And we couldn't land because there was fog. So we had to go to Bombay first. We spent most of our day in Bombay. And everybody, well, not everybody, but... Those of you who have gotten to go to India and know what it's like to hang out in an airport all day long, it isn't too uh, exciting. <laughs> By the time we finally got onto the plane to get back to Delhi later on that evening, and we sat on the plane, I guess, for maybe another hour or two, even after we got on the plane, trying to get back into Delhi. And finally the time came when everything was all set, and we said, and the, and the pilot finally came on, and he says, okay, we're going back to Delhi. And everybody was all excited and clapping, and we were finally going to get back to Delhi. And then he turns around and he says, well, maybe we won't go back to Delhi. He says, uh, we just got a message that there's fog coming in again, to, that there's still fog in Delhi and that we might not be able to leave. And all of a sudden he says, well, we'll go to Delhi anyway. <laughs> so we're flying into Delhi and I'm sitting in my seat. And in front of me is a stewardess. And we're coming into Delhi and she goes like this to the other stewardesses. So <laughs> and I'm going, oh, God. <laughs> So he's coming in for the landing. It's a long approach. You can't see anything outside the window. It's nothing but total fog. And we're coming in for the approach. And all of a sudden, he, he just pulls right out of this. It's like, whoa, coming right up. And the, and the stewardess is like, by now she's got all her fingers crossed. <laughs> and she's looking at the other stewardesses. And I'm going, what is he doing? Is he going to go back to Bombay now? I mean, are we going to try this again? <laughs> What's going to happen? And she goes, she says, I don't know. She says, He's, he just, I said, why did he do this? I don't understand this. Why did he do this? She says, he decided to take a chance. And I'm thinking to myself, I says, he what? <laughs> he decided to take a chance. There's 300 people on this plane. What is he doing? <laughs> and then it dawned on me, I says, it's just master. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's in charge. He's the pilot, not him. Nobody else. That was the beginning of my trip. It was, well, take a chance. And this was my main message to begin with, to start this trip. So the fog persisted for the whole 10 days. And every single morning we would wake up to fog, and it was cold. It was very, very cold. Um, let's see what I got here. Um, as the fog would lift, we would get every single day the fog would lift for a few hours in the afternoon where it would be warm enough where we could go out back and it would be like behind the outhouses there and, and we would kind of just lay out, there's this uh, haystack that is now kind of like flattened out and you would lay down on the haystack to just kind of uh, take in the warmth of the sun and, and look out over the green of the uh, what I call the cow food and it wasn't really high and it looked like an ocean so it was like while we were out there basking in the sun um, 
on a sea of on the sea of Nam, and just waiting uh, for the master. And we were we were sitting there talking, Sarah and um, and I and uh, Shirley Shirley Tassencourt, and we were discussing about the master and the Simran. So Sarah asked the question, and she says, well, on one of the names, she says, well, does this particular name end with an A, or is it with a T, the way the, the master pronounces it, when he says Simran each, before each meditation that we had each morning? And so we were kind of like thinking about it, and Shirley says, well, she says, I don't know. She says, I'll have to pay more attention the next time, and I'll let you know. And then we got into the discussion, and we were saying, well, it isn't so much, master puts emphasis on how we say the Simran, but it was like more of how he said the Simran, that power that was behind that Simran, what he says it. And he says it with such love and with such respect. And, and so I started repeating or imitating the master on how he says the Simran. So each morning, um, I always had the habit of getting up and going around the wall um, at the ashram in the fog. Right after breakfast, I would get right out there and hit the wall and back going around and get my exercise in. And as I was going around and I'm doing the Simran and I'm trying to imitate the master doing the Simran, and I'm, I'm, I, don't want, I didn't want to say it out loud as the master did because I was afraid that you know there's other Indians around on the back of the wall and I didn't know if they were initiated and if they could hear me and if they did, they would know what it was and if they, you know, all this stuff is going through my head. So I says, okay. So I'm doing the Simran as best I can quietly to myself. And I started thinking about the Simran and what it was. And I, I kind of like went off into this imagining of the Simran and how it, it's the sound current. And that the master has constant Simran. It never, never stops. It's in the foreground with him all the time. And with us, the Simran is in the background. And the world is in the foreground for us. And I imagined the Simran his Simran being in the foreground and as it's being going out into the universe and then it just kind of like sprinkles back down onto the world as it just kind of like vibrates and going over and over and over. And then I pictured him with the sound, with him saying it out loud, the Simran coming out loud. And when he said the Simran out loud, it was like, man, that Simran must be roaring, just a thundering roaring through the universe. And, and it was just vibrating, and the Simran was just coming in. And, and trying to imitate that sound with him, it was like I could feel it. And it was, it was just totally different, something new, a new way to, to take in the Simran and just let it come out again and just vibrate into the universe. And then I thought, well, gee, if we could all imitate the Master in the Simran, think of the consequences that it would have in the world if we could just all just feel it like he does and have that reverence and that respect and that love that he gives to the world in the Simran. So as I was walking around the wall, for I think most of you might know how it is that there's a, a path that goes around the clear, around the wall of the ashram. And some parts of the path are kind of narrow and some are, are, are areas are wider. And I, I then started thinking about how this path around the wall of the ashram is so much like life. And, and in some areas where it's narrow, and like when you pass another satsangi on the way, and you're like, you really kind of like tighten, you're like squeezing between each other. And then in other areas, it's wider, and you easily pass by each other. 
And then in some areas it's so narrow and you kind of like lose your footing and the sand slips and you fall in. You fall into the garden. And in other areas, it's you just deliberately step off. You have to step off in order to let others pass. And I'm standing there against the wall and now I've stopped. I'm not moving on the path anymore. And I, and I look around and there's so much fog. I've, I've, from me thinking so much about Simran and about the path and about life, and, and I'm like, now wait a minute, now which way is it? Was it that way? Was it this way I was going? And, and then I began to say, well, that's how life is too. We're in a fog, or I'm in a fog anyway. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know which direction I'm going. I can't see where I'm going. Three years ago, I went to Bombay. And I sat at the feet of I sat at the feet of my master. And I asked him to take away all my attachments. And I got off the plane in Boston. And the first thing my husband said to me was that he didn't want to be married to me anymore. And that was the beginning of my attachments to be taken away from me. And within a very short period of time, not only my husband, but my children moved away. The business that I was in for 20 years, I was taken away from. And that I worked with with my husband. I then eventually moved out of my house that I had lived in all my life. Oh, not all my life, but my married life. And I ended up in one room and having no money. So, in a very short period of time, everything was taken away. And then, I realized, I never once, never once questioned or said uncle to the master, because I knew that that's what I had asked for. And when I asked for him to take away the attachments, he looked at me and he says, Dear daughter, he says, that will be very difficult. And, and, a, and a fear went through my heart, and I says, and I almost backed off, and then, then the commitment was there, and it was like, no, I'm going to go through with this. This is going to happen. And I know that there's going to be pain, and I'm going to go through it. <laughs> but I didn't know how he was going to do it. And as I was going along the path, I kind of fell off. And in other ways, I just totally stopped. I kind of fell, and I kind of stopped in the path. And I was totally, as Sarah was talking, in my emotional body. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do the path. I couldn't meditate. I couldn't do the Simran. I did go to satsang most of the time, but there were times that I couldn't even do that. And I would sit down, and I would sit there to meditate. And um, I'd maybe sit 10 minutes. And, and I thought, I can't do it anymore. I just can't meditate. And I'd get up and I'd walk away and I'd do something else. But with this trip, seeing how the path is and how we can just kind of like fall off or, or just stop. And I'm sitting on the wall there and all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm in the fog and I'm saying, wow, what are you stopping for? What are you waiting for? Just go. Do it. What's at the end? The end is the uh, court of a jibe, the courtyard. So I went on 
into the courtyard, and Master was there. Just Master and I. And he was waiting for me. So I have another chance <laughs> to do that. So his hand is always reaching out to us. He's always there. He has all the love. Never stops. So now it's my turn to reach out, take his hand, go home. This was the uh, fifth time I had a chance to go to India, I believe. <clears throat> and the other four trips, they all seemed to get better and better. But I was pretty healthy. And this trip, Master, really lowered the boom. I got really sick. I mean, so sick that I thought I was going to die. <clears throat> Actually wishing maybe that I would. So... When you get sick when you're away from uh, what you think is your home, it's pretty depressing. And I remember the night I got really sick at the ashram, I wanted to try to escape. And I had concocted this elaborate plan how I was going to somehow get out while the gates are locked. Get to the, get to the bus drivers and get them to drive me to Delhi, pay them whatever I had to, and fly home. So the mind really knew that uh, <clears throat> it was in a dangerous place. And needless to say that, that that didn't happen, of course, thank God. But the next morning, I had the flu, chills, fever, sore throat, losing the voice. I mean, everything you can imagine. And uh, I remember I was in between Bob Pearsall and Joe Gelbard, and they really were very, very gracious. And uh, that meant a lot to me that people would be willing to you know, massage one and, and be very kind. And um, that sort of was the turning point. And I remember Joe brought me to the Masters. The Master was coming down that morning. I could hardly stand. And the um, Master looked at me and said, well, you go back and lie down and rest. And I went back to my bed. And some Savidar showed up with uh, some gigantic quilt-type thing and um, threw that on top of me. It was very, very heavy. And it was like an angel appeared, and uh, I didn't get cold anymore. And it was amazing to think of uh, how Master takes care of everything on every level. That afternoon, uh, I forced myself. I had the thought that even if you're dying, you should try to get to satsang. I remember Master Kirpal Singh saying that. So I got into the afternoon meditation, and that was very strange. So after the meditation, from 3.15 to 4, I lied down thinking that, well, I'll just lie down for a few minutes. I had great difficulty sleeping. And uh, I slept through the, um, the satsang. 
I couldn't believe it. So I missed those two sessions. And I was responsible for the taping on top of it. But uh, it all managed to happen. A few days later uh, was New Year's Eve. And normally I sign up for the last interviews, if I possibly can, because uh, my experience has been that I do not bring a tremendous amount of meditation prior to going to India with me. And it takes me a while to turn my uh, mind around, as it were, to be feeling um, the way I think I should be feeling when I see the Master. But this time, I just felt that I had no choice but to see him immediately if there was going to be any hope for me. So I signed up for the first interview, and it was January 1st, 1990, brand new decade. I went up to see the Master. And sometimes I take notes during satsang. And I remember Russell a while back had mentioned that a satsangi, Sanji had mentioned that a satsangi cannot know the path unless he reads the Anurag Sagar. So I had tried to read this book a number of times through the years, and uh, I never could get into it. So I read it, and I finished it just before seeing Sanji. And it gave me tremendous um, solace and consolation and strength, even though it was very heavy. And as a result of that, uh, I approached my interview in a way that uh, I'd never been able to before. Uh, I spoke to the Master very, very directly. and. Um, like Sarah, I spoke about uh, you know lack of uh, inner uh, experience, uh, so on and so forth. And Master told me an interesting story, and this may not be true for everyone, but he said, um, "Your soul." I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he said it's like this. He said, "If a poor man wins the lottery and he gets the money all at once, he goes crazy. So the wise people kind of hold it back." and give it to him in installments. And he said, the Master does it like that for us. He says, otherwise, if we get the fruits of our meditation uh, before we're ready, we can misuse it. We can take that power uh, and, and with our egos and, and misuse it. So he said to not be so concerned with seeing things in the meditation as to develop the love of the Master. And the interview went on from there. and. Um, was really a turning point for me. So I left uh, you know, the master at that point and uh, went on with the program. And it was very, very wonderful. Sanji looked beautiful. Uh, other than his voice, as Sarah mentioned, uh, escaping him a few times, uh, I, I can't imagine that he looked more beautiful and more powerful. I mean, it just seemed like the air around him was just crackling with uh, love and, and electricity. It was so powerful. Uh, it was very hard to believe. I mean, you could you could touch it. You could feel it, it seemed to me. Coming back to the trip as I see them, it seems like every trip there's a, a message for me. And Sandra mentioned attachment. In this particular trip, it seemed like the whole trip was about attachment. I'd never left my family for Christmas before. And uh, when I called my mother at the airport to tell her that I was going to India just prior to leaving, she was not too happy. I waited until the last minute to tell her. And uh, my in-laws uh, weren't particularly pleased. My wife went to see the in-laws. Uh, but uh, that was just the beginning. Getting at the ashram and listening to the master, the only thing that the master talked about was dying. And he said anything other than 
doing the path and the things that we had to do in our lives relating to our jobs and families was a waste of time. I mean, he couldn't get more specific than that. A lot with uh, Papu's uh, father having left the body and with Bobby Sands. And then when I came back, I read in the Sampani another dear one had left. There was a lady who had a miscarriage at the ashram. So it was really, while she was there, so it was really bringing the point home. And what the Master brought me to was, you know, attachment to the body is one thing. But I realized that I'm really attached to my mind. And in the uh, Anurag Sagar, there was a note uh, Russell had put in, or whoever put in. Uh, the mind is the sower. The soul is the reaper. I'm reading this here. And this is the supreme trick of Kal, the essence of the illusion of Maya. This is it. The mind appears to be appears to the individual to be its most integral part, but in fact, it is not a part of the individual at all. It is only along for the ride. And I remember uh, when I was in college, uh, I had a Roman Catholic upbringing, and I took comparative uh, study of comparative religions of the world. And every religion I studied, I found so beautiful, I wanted to, you know, get involved with it. And then the path came along, and Master talked about Par Brahm going beyond mind. And it was such a revolutionary thought that I said, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, as this experience in India showed me, uh, attachment runs very deep. It's one of the five deadly enemies. And the only way that I think that we can get out of it, uh, other than, you know, of course, doing the devotion and working hard, is His grace. I, I just can't imagine how anyone can... These are the really brave people, the people that can step on the mind, as it were, you know, the... Bhagats and the Sadhus and the Sansat Gurus. I mean, it's really amazing. And when I had this thought, I looked at the Master uh, in a light that um, I was flabbergasted. It was like uh, I, I still haven't recovered from the whole experience. I don't know what happened to me. It seemed like I was put in a, a vice, and the vice just was closed shut. And what came out was, was what came out. And uh, it was an amazing experience. For those that haven't been to India, uh, I would uh, really encourage you to go. It's always seems like it's hard to give up the time, and it's expensive. But every time I've gone, as difficult as my mind has made it for me, and I'm sure many people can attest to this, uh, such wonderful things have come out of the experience. And this particular time, uh, speaking uh, with one of the dear ones, I think it was Bob Pearsall, uh, it was like, you know, Sanji was really the friend in the other coat. This time I felt that the Master brought me closer to Kirpal than I have been since Kirpal left the body. And for that, I'm truly uh, thankful because it's been a long time. Um, the attachment thing was so real, it's, it's hard to talk about, but uh, that was the main lesson I think I, I had to face uh, with this trip. Another thing that came up to me in the Anurag Sagar was they were talking about Sach Khand, and uh, there it was said that the night never comes. And you know, some of us consider ourselves day people, and some of us consider ourselves night people. Uh, I can sort of consider myself a night person. And I was thinking about, you know, the duality of that, and the concept of the fact that, you know, there's no such thing as 
as, as night. And uh, we have a lot uh, to look forward to. Uh, basically, the, the trip was one of um, intense uh, man-making, I feel, from the level of the master uh, talking to the jivas about death. He expressed one story in one of the satsangs how his unit had served very well and they were brought into Delhi and they were given a tour of uh, the um, castle, I guess it were, wherever the emperors lived. And the emperor at that time uh, that they were speaking of, the tour guy was speaking of, had uh, served very well. And all of a sudden his son, Aurangzeb, took over and put his father in jail. And his father wrote him a letter saying, Dear son, you know, you've been starving me and not giving me anything to drink. And his son wrote back saying very cruelly, Well, take this letter and eat that and drink that, basically. And Tanti was very sad uh, that the world could be like this. So then his commander put him on a tour of the temples, uh, hoping to cheer him up. And Sanji went to one of the temples, and he saw that the priest was giving the garlands to those who gave the donation. So he saw this lady give the donation, and he put the garland on her neck. And then she brought her husband over, and she wanted the priest to put the garland on his neck, but since she didn't give the donation, he wouldn't. And that made him very sad, and he walked up some stairwell, and he saw a picture of Kabir, and that, that further, you know, put him in a condition that here was Kabir, the supreme master, uh, speaking against... Uh, not idolizing, uh, and, and here he was being idolized. So these are things that the, the master spoke about that uh, were important things in his his life that you know led him to to go within, and it was very very interesting. Uh, the group was uh, an amazing group. It was from people from all over the world, uh, Chile, South America, South Africa, Japan, France, Germany. Canada, just other places, Italy, places that I'm forgetting. It was really amazing. And all of the people were really wonderful. The Bajan sessions were just uh, unbelievable. Uh, I was mentioning to someone uh, last night on the phone, it seems like almost every time I go, there's a Bajan that stands out in my mind. And one dear one sang this Bajan twice, uh, Bakasho Bakashandar Piaggi. Uh, I don't know how to sing it, but it was a beautiful Bajan. And on page 184, if anyone wants to look at it, it was very, very interesting in terms of the message uh, conveyed there. But basically, um, what I want to tell everyone is that I feel that Master looked very, very strong and was radiant. And the only time that he looked a little weak was after the initiation. We had a bhajan session that night after the initiation, and he looked a little harried. Uh, but uh, the following morning, when he got on the bus to see us all off, it was uh, it was like breathtaking. I mean, he walked by and like your heart's going, and you know you just want to grab him, but you you can't. And he went to the back of the bus, and then he came back again, and it's like you know you're losing your breath. I mean, he was so beautiful. Uh, I remember saying to who I was sitting with, you know, was it like that for you? You know, and they were just oh. so. Um, I I'm really looking forward to the master coming this summer, God willing, and um, uh, I'm just very thankful for the experience. Thank you.
thank you, um, all three of you, for those very exceptional sharings. I was reminded um, of something that happened when I was there. <clears throat> While this wasn't directly, uh, that is, didn't happen in Sanchi's physical presence, I thought I would, I would mention it because some of the things that were said reminded me of this. Um, there was someone that I had an occasion to talk to at the end of the trip um, in the airport. It was one of those kind of a deals. And this person was very new on the path. And it was sad because they were leaving uh, feeling s sort of sad. And one of the things that had gotten them feeling sad was that in their room, um, it seemed like a lot of the talk that was happening was about the inner experiences. People kept talking about what they were experiencing in meditation. And this person just sat there listening, and the kinds of things that people were talking about were definitely not the kinds of things that were happening for uh, him. And the, the result of it was that he did feel very sad. And uh, all I could say to him was that, that that's why the Masters say not to talk about inner experiences, because... Uh, Number one, you'll lose, and number two, if other people hear, um, they get upset. And also, I, I had to say to them that, that my experience and other experiences over the years is that those who talk about their inner experiences uh, generally don't, don't know very much or don't have them, and those that don't talk may be having them. So I appreciated um, all of what um, Sarah had to say, especially regarding that. I think it was well put in a what can be a very delicate and tricky area, but um, and I'll just say too this: the way it's interesting how the mind can um, can get tricky. Because another thing that this person had found to be sad about was that when when Sanchi left to say goodbye to us for the last time in Papu's house and went upstairs, he wanted to cry like many were doing, but he hadn't been able to cry, and that was upsetting to him. And within the space of talking about it for five minutes, he mentioned that after seeing Sanchi um, earlier, a couple hours earlier, he had gone upstairs on the roof of Papu's house and cried for an hour straight. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's the way our mind can, uh, can find the different ways to trick us. But at any rate, those were... Um, Thank you very much for, for sharing that. We'll close. Um, I have a, a couple of uh, sort of announcements, then we'll have our, our bhajan, and there is parshad. Uh, this is a note from David and Michelle Beasley. Uh, people remember David was in an accident, and... Uh, the Sangat responded uh, by offering them some help, and this was a note sent to the ashram, uh, which we felt should be shared. Written by Michelle, David and I cannot express our thanks for all that you and the Sangat have done for us over these past difficult weeks. Now, however, it seems the bad times are over, and we are celebrating the birth of our son, Evan. Please thank everyone for us. We hope to be visiting Samerton soon, and we'll try to see you at that time. Thank you again. 
And our closing budget is on page 199. The souls do not remain in this world forever. Those who sit in meditation earn the profit and take it with them. All have to go, leaving this world. It was our home, but now it has become another's. If it were in our control, why would our soul bear the pain of separation? Everyone craved for beauty and youth, but who can erase what is written in their fate? The souls bear the pains and enjoy the comforts according to their karma. Those who have sacrificed their body and mind for the Master and became grateful to him, understanding his will is sweet, they do not go in the cycle of 84 again. Hail Kirpal, you liberated the souls after coming and removed the diseases of poor Ajayb. Those who get on the path reach their destination. The souls do not remain in this world forever. Those who sit in meditation earn the profit and take it with them. Dunia devichiruhan te sadneorendia Lahakat ke jana bajan jobendia Dunia devichiruhan te sadneorendia Lahakat ke jan bajan jobendia Dunia devichiruhan te sadneorendia Chad ke jahan sabane tur jana Apna hai gar hunna ho ya begana Chad ke jahan sabane tur jana Apna hai gar hunna ho ya begana Apna bas je honda judayan kanu sendia Dunia devichiruhan te sadhane orendia Lahakat ke janab jan jobendia Dunia devichiruhan te sadhane orendia Husna javaniya nuhar koi chave Mate diya likiya nukona mitave Husna javaniya nuhar koi chave Mate diya likiya nukona mitave Karma de anusarte dukkha sukkha sendia 
दुनिया दे विचरुहान ते साधने और लाहकत के जान बजन जो बेंदिया दुनिया दे विचरुहान ते साधने और जिन्ना ने गुरु उतो तन मनवारिया बना मित मन के ते शुकर गुजारिया जिन्ना ने गुरु उतो तन मनवारिया बना मित मन के ते शुकर गुजारिया चौरासी दे गेद फेर ना पेंदिया दुनिया दे विचरुहान ते साधने और लाहकत के जान बजन जो पेंदिया दुनिया दे विचरुहान ते साधने और धन किर पल रुहान के ते तारियान गारी बजाय बदिया कातियान दी मारियान धन किर पल रुहान के ते तारियान गारी बजाय बदिया कातियान दी मारियान मंजिल ते कर जन जो रसते पेंदिया दुनिया दे विचरुहान ते साधने और लाहकत के जान बजन जो बेंदिया दुनिया दे विचरुहान ते साधने और The souls do not remain in this world forever. Those who sit in meditation earn the profit and take it with them. And before we leave, I would like to read this paragraph from a letter that was written by Sanchi to Susan Shannon, which is to all of us, and it was sent back with this group, dated December 29, 1989. Sanchi says, I am very thankful to all the dear ones in the Sangat who helped dear Bobby San and her family at the time when she and her family needed their help the most. Now when she has gone back to her real home and is enjoying the company of the masters in Sach Khand, I am sure that the dear ones who helped her family at the time when she was sick will also get the benefit from the grace of the master. I appreciate the love and affection of all the satsangis. Amen.